Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. This is Pete Vecchi welcoming you to Reconciling Grace. I'm one of the associate pastors at West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene. Joining me today are Vicki Cundiff. She is the pastor of care and counseling at Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio. We also have with us Mick Wells, who has been a member of the Wells of Salvation Ministries since 1980 and who is the co-host of the Cross Connection radio program. And finally today, and last but not least, I should say, is Steve Wilson. Steve is a Christian author who has a master's degree from United Theological Seminary. And it's good to have all of you with us today. Last week, we started talking about heresies that are still around today. And just to make sure that we give credit where credit is due, this topic kind of came up, at least as a springboard from an article in crosswalk.com talking about different heresies. Last week we discussed the heresy of Judaizers, which basically was talking about the heresy of good deeds or efforts contribute to salvation. This week, Steve is going to be kind of leading the discussion here on a heresy that is around today. And Steve, why don't you kind of share with us what that is? Today we're going to be talking about docetism. Do, is that dosi do? No, docetism. Oh, okay. That's a Girl Scout cookie. <laughs> Pretty tasty too. Yeah. So docetism is this idea that Jesus's body wasn't real. It was just an illusion. He didn't have a physical body. In fact, uh, the Greek word dokatai means illusionist. So Jesus's body was just an illusion. It wasn't really there. Uh, it's not named after any certain person. We don't actually know uh, who started this idea, but it did circulate among the early church. So here's the first question for you. Why do you think it was difficult for early Christians to believe that Jesus had a real physical body? I would say because he died. And um, if if you die then you can't be God. And so how can God die and be, how could Jesus be God who he claimed to be if he died? That would be my first thought right off the top of my head. Okay. I would think it is beneath him, right? If you think of God in the form of Jesus, having to do all those physical things that we have to do, going to the bathroom, um, getting dirty, sweating, smelling like B.O., especially back then, right? You would just think this is completely beneath God. And you know, Israel or the uh, Palestinian area over there at the time um, had been culturally overtaken by the Greek influence. We don't know how, we know they were using the Greek language but we don't know uh, to what extent things like uh, Greek ideas of gods and goddesses had taken over and kind of dovetailing what you said, Steve, the Greeks had these 
gods and they described them through myths and they were they were preeminent they were on top of mount olympus in in greece and they were to be revered and zeus supposedly had a a thunderbolt in his hands and people lived in fear of it it just was so high and removed from the concept of humanity commonly walking around uh, the the holy lands at that time and i also think too that uh, the Jewish people, how often have you heard that their expectation of the coming Messiah was going to be as a conquering king? It just wasn't in their mindset to think about Jesus becoming a man subject to all the things that Steve described. Let's have uh, Vicki read Matthew twenty-six forty-one. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. That's what Jesus himself said. Mm-hmm. He's got his, his three uh, inner circle disciples praying with him in the garden, and they're falling asleep when he's kind of counting on them for support. So he says, the Spirit's willing. You're absolutely willing to help me here, but you're falling asleep. You're too tired. And so we've got this idea of the flesh is our weak point. Mm. It's um, it's not perfect. It, it fails. It gets sick. It dies. It gets tired. Completely beneath God. It's also where we get our sinful desires. Nick, if you could read Galatians five sixteen to twenty four. The word tells us. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So you have this this very strong divide between the spirit and the flesh. Flesh bad, spirit good. And so our early Christian friends saw that. They would say, well, Jesus was perfect. And so he couldn't have had any of this flesh, this sinful nature uh, interfering with him. So would you say that maybe the the question comes down somewhat at least to what do we mean by flesh? Yes. Are we talking about the skin that covers our bodies? Or is it also a part of, well, the human nature, just the things that make us want to desire to do our own thing rather than God's thing? I think it's a, a kind of a both and. Right. Because if you look at this list, that Mick just read, the things that says the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, 
Okay, well, that's an act of the flesh. Impurity, debauchery, those also are. But what about idolatry and witchcraft? Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. None of those are acts of my physical body, right? So I think you're right. When we talk about the flesh, we're talking about me. My mind, my spirit, my body, all those things give rise to what uh, the Bible calls the flesh. It's just me without God's spirit. Me on my own, that's the flesh. And that's where I think the early Christians uh, didn't quite see that. Or at least some didn't. Some obviously did because we, we still uh, preserve the truth of the church. But some of them saw that divide and said, okay, it's the flesh. The flesh in its literal sense is bad, where it's not. Let's, uh, let's ask the next question. What is the problem with docetism? Why would it be a problem for Christians to believe that Jesus' body was merely an illusion, that he didn't have a real physical body? I think that, uh, and, I, and I didn't do a whole lot of research into this because just one principle stands out to me. And... And I'm going to read you the scripture that I think addresses this. It's from 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. And then I'm going to share Second John chapter 1, verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. The Bible clearly uh, attributes refusal to confess the physical incarnation of Christ as the spirit of antichrist, I don't want to be anywhere near that because it's an actual test of whether we have trusted in, in uh, Jesus Christ in the flesh, the Word made flesh that dwelled among us according to the gospel, and uh, that, that, he's, that he's come from God and he had a real body and died for us. I mean, I don't need to look any further than that in terms of of its importance to Christians. If they don't believe that, then they fall under the heresy of docetism and those who do not uh, accept the gospel as it's written. So John was writing about docetism in that. In that's effect, the, I think. That's the idea. Among the early church, he was writing, he was saying, this is not true. But why... That he see it as such a big problem. I want to go back um, to your original question that you asked Steve about um, why was it important to know that Jesus had a physical body or actually to believe that he had a physical body. And I said, um, because he died. I'm going to answer this question kind of along the same lines. It's because he died. How can God die? If Jesus didn't have a physical body, then he didn't really die. And it required a sacrifice of life to forgive sins. 
And Jesus truly died to forgive our sins. That that shedding of blood, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus' blood was shed, and that's because he had a physical body, and he died. That's that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, you don't get blood from an illusion. But in docetism, they also believe that the crucifixion was an illusion as well. And so that's the danger of it, is that we take away salvation through Christ and take away the fact that he did uh, bleed and die for us so that we could receive salvation through him. Right, there could be no substitution for our sins if right. the substitution wasn't real. Mm-hmm. And I can see that uh, Steve wants to continue with that, but we need to take a quick break for our sponsor. And Steve, will let you continue right after this break. And we're back with Reconciling Grace. And Steve Wilson has been discussing the heresy of docetism and steve i'm just going to let you pick up where you left off so just to recap we're talking about docetism the idea among early christians that the flesh was bad the spirit is good and that jesus therefore could not have had a real body he couldn't have had uh, the pollution of the flesh so to speak so before we go on i just want to clarify uh, is the flesh inherently bad well, Steve, I was thinking that uh, with the creation, and I go back to what, what God said when he was done with creation, God declared his creation was good, and that would have included material things and, and, and the flesh. So flesh, as damaged by the fall and the introduction of what I would call the sin nature, causes the problems that we're talking about. I just wanted to share one verse, too, from Romans chapter 7, verse 18. It says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So with the fall of man in the garden, I think we saw what God declared good tainted and give us the problems that we have with the flesh today. I think that the whole idea is that that everything was tainted by sin. I think I'm just kind of restating what you said, mm-hmm. maybe in a different way, and that nothing works now the way it was designed to work when God said it is good. Um, so that's the problem is the flesh itself, meaning the skin that we live in, was not the problem. The problem is the condition of sin that now pervades each and every human being and pervades the earth. I like to say it this way, that the earth and all people are infected and affected by sin. Mm-hmm. Good. Right, so it's not just the flesh that was tainted. It was the spirit that was tainted. It was the mind that was tainted. You know, we we don't usually talk about it in the Christian church, but sin has a noetic effect. Uh, it means I don't think as clearly as I should. Because sin has, has uh, brought me low. What did you call that? It's called noetic. Not poetic? No. Okay. No, no. Uh, in fact, noetic has uh, the same root word as Gnosticism, okay. which is uh, very much related to this heresy. Sure. Uh, Gnosticism has to do with knowing the right things. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about noetic effects, we're talking um, about 
What do we know? How do we think? Uh, how do we judge things in our mind? But let's go on to how does this relate to the Christian church today? Obviously, we, we know that Jesus had a real body. Uh, we know that the flesh, at least um, going from our conversation today, we know that the flesh is not inherently bad. But the question is, does God somehow see the spirit, see our spirits, as more important than our flesh? Does God elevate the spirit more than the body? Well, I think that it is our spirit that receives the spirit of Jesus Christ. Now, we're getting, we're getting into what we call the, uh, the Greek understanding of, of humanity. I have heard it referred to as the functional trichotomy. There we go with those big 50-cent words again. It simply means that in the, the Greek understanding, the classical Greek understanding, it means that human beings are made up of three parts, the, the body, the mind or the soul, and the spirit. And that's one of the best ways for me to understand it living in this world, that when the spirit of Jesus Christ comes to live within a believer, that it is the spirit that is perfected. However, the flesh isn't perfected, the mind isn't perfected, but what is perfected in the spirit affects the mind and affects the body. So it affects the way we act. It affects the way we think, but those things are not perfect. If our bodies were perfect, then none of us would be wearing glasses. I think all of us in this room right now are wearing glasses. Um, nobody would ever die. Nobody would ever get sick. Nobody would ever make a mental error. We would never have to stop the tape when we're making these um, these recordings and say, oops, I did something wrong or I said something wrong because I wasn't thinking right. So I don't know if that's where you're going with that, Steve, um, but that's kind of how I wanted to answer that. I think the question almost implied a, a, a strata. Does God hold in higher regard or esteem or value uh, the immaterial aspect of the non-material aspect of us, that which is eternal? Uh, does he consider it more important than, than the body? I see it kind of, God sees us as a package. And just like if you're a parent of more than one child, you treat them differently because they're different personalities. I see that God has specific views of the mortal bodies that he's giving, given us uh, versus uh, the, the spirit and the soul because they're, they're different by nature. Um, I wanted to, to share with you something here. I think God sees us as a package, but he treats each piece differently. And the body's extremely important, according to these verses. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, chapter, or chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 12, uh, verse 1, it says, we are urged to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Elsewhere in the, in the New Testament, we're told that, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So I, I think there's a great premium placed upon the bodies, but by nature, they're going to 
wither and die, but look at what God has in store for us, a glorified body, one like Jesus' own body. And so I don't think he considers one more important than the other, but I think there are roles and special considerations we have because of the nature of those three components. I agree that I think that that's true. He cares about the whole package. And God coming to be born upon this earth and coming in the flesh and then living upon this earth uh, as a human being shows us that we can also live above sin, that we can uh, resist temptation. Remember the scripture you had me read earlier. Jesus told the three disciples, he said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Mm. You know, he lived a life where he was tempted. Uh, we know we have a recording of that, you know, in the Bible where he was tempted after 40 days of, of prayer and fasting. Uh, but there's certainly other times that he was tempted, but he didn't give in to temptation. And he's telling them there, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So he's come and been born upon this earth to be one of us. Uh, he knows everything that we have gone through. He can understand us and relate to us. But we can also see through his life that we can live this life that he's called us to live, to be made into the image of God and live in holiness like the scripture you read, mm -hmm. uh, the God of peace sanctify us through and through, that we can live that life. He's our example of that. We uh, <clears throat> often talk about how Jesus being born of a woman uh, redeems woman from the curse of the fall and how being born in a human body redeems our bodies. says. So it's okay to have a body because Jesus did. And like you said, he lived uh, in that body holily. Um, I want to read one more scripture. And uh, I'll get in trouble here because it's the, uh, the rapture scripture. But I'm not going to talk about that. I'll talk about the relation between the, fle uh, the flesh and the spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18 Paul says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, about those who die. We don't want you to uh, be uninformed. We want you to know what's going on here. So that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. The picture that Paul is given here, I think, is that he knows when Christians die, their spirits go to heaven. But Jesus is going to come back to earth and says he's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep in him. Those who have died as Christians, he's going to bring their spirits back with him when he comes. And says, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So the picture is he's bringing their spirits with him, and then their bodies rise. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So God created humans to be flesh and spirit. The very beginning it says he, he made our bodies out of the dirt. 
and he breathed into us. And in that picture is he's breathing the spirit into us. And at the end, after all this kind of mess that we've gotten into with the sinful nature, at the end, the spirit and the body are going to be reunited and redeemed together. So that kind of goes along with what um, the the Greek idea of there is a spirit and there is a flesh. As I was talking about the functional trichotomy before, it's right there in what you read about the the flesh being reunited with the spirit. And, and just a side note, uh, the early Christians adopted that idea of the trichotomy, um, and they related it to the Trinity. So that as we are... Uh, made in the image of God, and God is three, so we are three. Humans are three, just like God is three. We have a spirit, like the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have a mind, and John himself calls uh, Jesus the Word, the Logos, the, the reasoning of God. And we have the body, uh, which would be the God, the God the Father that kind of holds all of it together. So, do we ever see Christians placing more importance on our spirits than on our bodies? I think it happens a lot. Um, and at the same time, I think that there's also the other side of the uh, coin there where sometimes people place so much emphasis on the body and not enough on the spirit. I think there's got to be a balance. I mean, as Christians, we are called, for instance, to love our fellow human beings. To some people, to love them means to just preach at them, preach at them, preach at them, preach at them until they say the sinner's prayer and then everything's good and that's it and they don't have any any more need uh, for, for uh, evangelism or anything like that. To other people, I, I've seen it go to the to the other extreme where it's all about just reaching out and having relational ministry and just meeting these people's needs physically or whatever, and there's really not a whole lot of talk about, well, how does one come to know the Lord, um, there's, there's got to be a balance there. But to answer your question, yes. I had a couple of thoughts on it. I um, wonder what you think of this. Uh, Paul writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 8 talks about physical training for the body. It says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come, that almost suggests that, you know, if you're faced for whether to go for a workout or or have personal devotions, that uh, you might want to focus um, on the eternal. And then on the flip side of that, I was thinking, if, if the questions, do we see Christians placing more value on the spiritual than on the physical, um, what do you think about fasting? I mean, if if I'm fasting, it's purely for, or probably is purely for a physical or a spiritual reason, a spiritual reason, but I am depriving myself of something, some nutrition, something. So I think the scripture and the emphasis it has on fasting inherently puts the spiritual above the physical in certain circumstances. What do you think? That's true, uh, but I, again, I think it, it shows that we're not divided. The, the physical aids the spiritual, mm -hmm. right? And in the same way, 
our spiritual decisions will affect our physical health. And I think we'd like to keep on going here as it seems like every single time we, we kind of run out of time before we run out of things to say. Um, let's just say it's all connected. Maybe that's a good way to put it. Would you say, Steve? Think so. All right. Well, this has been a fascinating time, but we are just about to run out of time. Um, again, if you have questions for us, or you'd like to send a comment to us, send it to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. For Steve Wilson, for Mick Wells, for Vicki Cundiff, this is Pete Vecchi, and thank you for joining us again today for Reconciling Grace. May God bless you. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.